Just a couple of nice guys bringing you another episode. Coming at you. Talk about that. <laughs> right before we recorded, Johnny was talking about nice guys. Yeah, because that was like, I had a, my manager for a long time. He used to say that because I would say, oh, this guy wants me to come do this event. It's They're lowballing me, but he's such a nice guy. Let's make it happen. He'd be like, first of all, just stop it. I go, what? He goes, we don't say that around here. I go, what? Nice? He goes, nice guy is the most useless term. Yeah. And I go, I don't know what you mean. He goes, it means nothing. Because, like, whenever they arrest a serial killer, they're always like, he was such a nice guy. They <laughs> right. found, like, bodies in barrels. It's like, apparently, uh, heads in the freezer. so little you didn't know that he was murdering people <laughs> yeah. on the side. Yeah. It is interesting, though, our, yeah, how we, how we look at people. Because it's like, especially if you meet somebody the first time, right. they're on their best behavior. It's like a first date. Yeah. It's like an audition for a relationship, especially if you want to do business with that person. Yeah. You want to do business with the people you date? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mixing metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> what is Johnny into? <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I'm talking about, like, if I was a client. Right. So, let's like, say I'm meeting with a church, and I'm trying to, or I'm just emailing them, I'm trying to come off as like, hey, I'm right. just wanted, I'm in your area, <laughs> if I could be available to your people in, the, in this time that we're in, I know they need to laugh, but I'm trying to come off as a nice guy, right. but I mean, it's a, I'm not going to say it's an act, but it is a, I'm being the ultra best version of myself. Well, Sure. And they're going to do the same thing. If you meet a pastor, they're not going to be like, let me tell you the crap's going on around here. <laughs> Sometimes that does happen, though. I don't know if you ever experienced that yeah. when you've, uh, I know you've done counseling and stuff with other pastors and, yeah. and maybe you, you have other relationships with like, you have pastor friends who you've written for and they're, they're, they confide in you yeah. like, hey, this may look great on the surface, but holy moly, it's a crap storm in here. And I like that, though. And I think that happens more with me once I've known, once I've done like, let's say two or three events for the same church. I become the guy that's their sounding board. Right. Because they know I'm kind of there and I leave and I, I, I don't say anything to anybody, but I could be like, because one time I did a thing and this pastor was like, the worship guy comes in. He's like, you guys need anything? And he was real like falling over himself to bring us coffee or whatever. And then he, I was like, what a nice guy. <laughs> and he leaves and the guy's like, yeah, that guy's getting fired. Like I was like, whoa, oh, no. I couldn't believe it. Like he just kind of tells me out of hand, like, yeah, he's leaving next day. Like, oh man. Yeah. I think I am the guy that overshares up front. Like yeah. I, I, I think it feels really disingenuous to me to make things look better than they yeah. are because I find myself doing that because I'm a I'm a perennial people pleaser. Right. Okay. But say that five times. Fast. Man, that's uh, picking a uh, peck of pickled peppers. My favorite one is Steve Martin. We'll come back to this. My favorite one is I. I slit the I sheet. I slit the sheet. The sheet I slit, and on the slitted sheet I sit. I've always wanted to say that. I say it all the time, like during worship practice, like as we're warming up. You know, it's just scary. I do used to do uh, from there was a movie called Speechless, which we've talked about. Yeah, where the two rival speechwriters for the mayoral or gubernatorial gubernatorial campaign, yeah, they fall in love. But uh, there's a character in that that Christopher Reeve plays, and he's kind of like uh, the Gulf War correspondent yeah. that becomes famous and he, they call him Baghdad Bob. Yeah. And uh, he's doing, um, he's warming up before he goes on to do like a live feed and he goes, 10 tiny tots yeah. on the train tracks, <laughs> 10 tiny tots. And if you remember, even in the band days, yeah. I used to say oh, 10. all the time. And it would be so funny to watch. I'm going, check one, check one, check two. And then I say, 10 tiny tots on the train tracks. And then the people who are in the back who are just, it's a church sound guy, their eyes get big like, what are we in for? Like, this guy is dark. <laughs> and it's just a reference to a movie, but I guess it does sound like I'm a yeah. a monster. But That's great. No, but I, I don't like, I find myself, uh, you know, how are things? Things are great, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I just, I feel like I'm not 
it's not that everything's bad. But I you just, don't want to get into everything. <laughs> oh, my colon. Like, you right. don't want to immediately pour out the... <laughs> I got this rash. Every um, dark thing that's happening in your life. They want People, when they ask how you are, generally want you to say, fine, right. so they can move on. They're not even listening for a response. Right. How are you? Good? Good. All right, let's get down to business. So I was on a call with a publisher this week, and we were talking about race. And, um, and we got into the call, and they said, well, John, because I'm... I'm I can't talk about it yet. Nothing's done yet, but yeah. I have a co-author and <clears throat> I'm I'm the white guy, you know, so Wait, what? I know, I know you're shocked. And so they were like, "So, would you think from your story that you would have anything like from your own brokenness or mistakes you've made that you could share?" And I was just like, "Oh man, you done opened up the right. floodgates." I mean, cuz that's that's kind of where I live. I've just been dying for you guys. I didn't say it like that, but in my mind I'm like, "Yeah. Asking me to share my mistakes, I mean, that's really more natural for me uh-huh. than it is to cuz I don't have a lot of wins on those fronts. I feel like, you know, the gospel kind of calls you to keep changing and, mm-hmm. and growing, but it was just funny. It was like, "Well, do you got about 45 minutes? I'll tell you the first one." You and know? it's true. I do think having said all that about how I try to be on best behavior if I'm trying to like that whole audition mindset if you meet somebody for the first time you're trying to be impressive i do think that comedy the last i've been doing this 12 years now i do think it has made me way more vulnerable because that's the kind of thing that you'll mine the thing that you're really embarrassed about before you begin doing comedy is the thing that now becomes the thing you must share right because it's what you're looking for relatability even now when i'm talking about uh i'm writing now and I've lost a bunch of weight. I'm exercising every day during the pandemic. I've really like got in touch with like a fit side of myself. Yeah. And I really am like, it's becoming a cool thing. And I love it. Now, I'm, the eating is not great. I'm still eating garbage. But, but I'm getting in good shape. But that does not make me more relatable to a crowd. It makes me less relatable. Right. It is a, it is a, a, a barrier. Yeah. So I'm not going to get up and be like, guys, I ran three miles today again. You know, right. you're not going to believe, you know, a, like a heavy set guy. Think about Jim Gaffigan. Right. He's just fat enough to be able to be the doughy guy that makes jokes about how much bacon he eats. Right. But he's not so fat where you're like, his heart's going to explode on stage. <laughs> he's right in the middle. middle. But if Jim Gaffigan got abs, yeah. he would lose a lot of his audience. Like there's a thing, there's something like, so all that said, I do think that I'm more vulnerable and I'm trying to figure out that balance between like being healthy enough to where I don't die, but being also vulnerable enough and having commonalities with my audience and being able to point those things out. It's a weird like tight tightrope you walk. Yeah, it's very strange. And I think in the pastoral world, it's like people kind of want their pastors to be a little above reproach. That's a great term among the Christian reproach. World. Above reproach. We're the only ones that say reproach. Absolutely. Like. Above reproach. Um, it's right up there with armor bearer. I like, just want to be an armor bearer. For yeah. <laughs> I want to be above reproach as your armor bearer. Oh, uh, dude. Like, dude, just give me some coffee. We're firing you this man. <laughs> you don't know it yet, but you're done. You're out. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't like, like, I kind of think that what makes a good pastor is, yes, there's this fine line here. There are things I could do that would get me fired. Mm-hmm. You know, or that would forfeit my right to do this role. That's true of any role. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're if you're a bus driver, I have a I have a CDL, and there are things I could do that the government would take away my CDL for. Yeah. You know, even if I didn't hurt anybody, but oh, you forfeit the right to drive a commercial vehicle. So like, I'm okay with consequences and all those things. I just I just go though like 
giving the appearance of being above reproach is, is a part of what is causing everybody else to want to hide who they really are and not allow what Jesus wants to do in them to change. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't, they don't want to be honest about it because we've taught them that the great Christians are not honest about it with everybody. And so there's like that weird, but then you have a lot of Christians that come in. If you're that broken and vulnerable from the stage and they're the visitor, they're freaked out by it because it is not their version yeah, they're not of, used to it. of Christianity. So it's like this, this middle, uh, like if this is what he's telling me, what's he hiding? <laughs> That's the old way of thinking. Yeah. yeah. And you just go, I wonder if there's some line of like, well, how do we, do we, do we, cause you know, I don't do, I don't do, um, I guess, I call it shallow conversation. Some that's literally how I refer to small talk. I don't do small talk very well. Mm-hmm. Like I really would prefer to talk about something significant. So it's hard to know. But I do have like that whole "Hey, how you doing?" I'm John. I don't have to tell you everything about my rash immediately. But you right. know, I just. But I just, we're going to get into the rash soon, right? Within 20 minutes, I yeah. try to bring it out. Yeah. <laughs> Are you guys ready to order? <laughs> that kind of a thing. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So speaking of speechless, so you yeah. you referenced that movie when we were. Speaking of this other movie called Irresistible. Oh, right. Uh, did you see it? I did see it. What'd you think? So, it's you know, if you guys haven't watched it, it's one of the Apple Plus shows. Oh, it's on Apple Plus now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's who made it, I thought. I, thought I don't know, because they released it in theaters, and that's where I saw it. I actually really? saw it at a, at a local theater um, that was, like, with four other people. Because the there's a theater down the road from us that opened earlier. I thought it was like Greyhound. It was like one of these Apple... TV it is, but movies. I think they also did like a limited uh, theater okay, release. Okay. You know what? I didn't like it to the last 20 minutes. Okay. Like it was, they kind of got me. Like I thought. Oh, yeah, it's a great twist. We're really, 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 really. You're not going to ruin it, are you? No, but I just felt like it was really lacking in plot and character development. And I kept waiting for this whole romantic thing to you know happen between the two characters. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. They've made her completely unlikable. Yeah. Like, these are, like there's no... Mm-hmm. And then you got kind of the twist, you know, it was like, uh, okay, you know, yeah, now yeah. it all made. So yeah, it, it, it redeemed itself, but it almost like was shallow on purpose. I liked how it, I thought it was going to be way more partisan than it was. Yeah. And in the end, it kind of just made it everybody impugns the entire system, yeah. the entire uh, lobbyist yeah. system and, and fundraising. Uh, what do you call it? Packs, super packs and all the things that, right. that kind of, uh, it kind of paints them as a stain on the process. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, for both sides, which I thought was pretty fair and balanced from John Stewart, who's a very left, you know, right. far left person, um, but is clever. Gosh, what a clever writer and uh, a brilliant comic. I mean, the, when you think about what him and Colbert did, I mean, every millennial, basically, a lot of their political thought came from the Daily Show and the Colbert Report. Yeah, it's it's like that. They really they, they moved the ball down the field as far as like political ideology. So this idea that comedy it's a powerful force. If you really know how to do what you're doing, yeah. Uh, and it's it's kind of a shame that there's not a more conservative balance to that. I mean, I, I watched Trevor Noah. I was on a trip the other day, mm-hmm. you know, and it was fascinating. Mean, I watch him sometimes. Fascinating because that, it takes a lot of it yeah. takes a lot of thought. To pull comedy, of course, you've seen the clip, by the way, of him with the Vols hat superimposed yeah, yeah. on his head. <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> the Vols year. Hearing the South African guy do the Southern accent. Oh, that's and, great. And all the Vols fans love it because oh, it's yeah, so true. Like, nobody's been upset. Vol Twitter did not come after him, apparently. No, they were like, yep, you nailed it. Yeah, it's us. They put a Vols hat on him. They superimposed yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah. It's so good. But I just, you know, that that line of bringing some semblance of humor into a yeah. lot of scathing. I mean, I watched a whole report on Breonna Taylor 
that he was giving. And it was a, a real report. Uh-huh. Uh, when he's doing it with no audience and just from his yeah. living room and it's super hard. Yeah. And, and you, you know, learning more and more about, you know, and again, trying to stick the facts. And then right after that, there was a report on, um, it was a COVID report, but it yeah. was a real thing. But they did it in a funny way. It was about all of this testing this company is doing of sewage treatment plants outside of they're, – they're now testing people's poop to determine – because I, I guess it carries enough of the virus. They can tell you whether or not the virus is going up or down in the population without what? all the same testing. So they're now, yeah, looking at it. It's a totally different thing. It's like the, whether that's ethical. Dude, that's scriptural, dude. It's what comes out of a man that, that defiles, defiles him. him. That's what it says. It's right there, <laughs> red and white. You, what? They, yeah. you know, and, and it was just like, but of course, the, the correspondent mm-hmm. couldn't help himself. I mean, he's interviewing this real scientist and like the number of, he's like, I promise you, I will only do four, three poop jokes. And every time he would do one, it's like, Ding, you know, he ended up doing like five. He's like, great. I'm sorry. But it was like, what a, what a fascinating way to get a real story from a real company mm-hmm. and they're making fun of it as they go, but you still walked away with some knowledge. Like yeah. I just thought that was, I thought that was very, it's good. I mean, and again, and those, those shows, I mean, I say that, that they influence political thought. I'm not saying good for good or bad. I think it's sad that there's not more balance. I think part of it is because we've talked about this before. Uh, you and I are both consider ourselves moderate to conservative. Yeah. I would say conservative comedy. If you're just going to say like, I'm a conservative comic, I'm a tea party comic. Like there's, there are those guys out there and it's so hard because it's not funny comedy. <laughs> well, comedy is about punching up. Right. So if you're going to be like these welfare people out here living off the government, don't like you're punching yeah. down just to start the joke. You'd be a brilliant comedian, but your joke's not funny if you're punching. Down. Yeah. Right. And so, and plus I don't like, like I say, I don't like comedy with an agenda. Having said that, I feel like John Stewart's brilliant. I do think that there's a way, like, I do think comedy with an agenda can work. But it's got to be so funny. Yeah. Like if you go into to my show, my show is not political at all. So anybody that listens to this show and is like, I'm not bringing Johnny in if he's going to talk like that. Like my show, you've seen it. It's not political at all. No. It's a very silly. It's very fun. It's very you relatable. You wear the American flag shorts. Just like Apollo Creed. Then at the end, I light them on fire. They go up like flash paper. <laughs> People love it. I'm just there naked. Uh, it's very edgy. No. <laughs> but my show's not political at all. But I just think it's interesting. One of the reasons it's not is because I hate being divisive. I think comedy is like people go to to escape that kind of stuff. But when I do see every now and again, I'll see somebody do a set and they'll have a couple of political jokes. And I'll be really like, wow, that was, man, they nailed it. Yeah. But the joke has to be so good. It has to be perfect, yeah. Like, I feel like uh, when people try to be, like I hate, I used to say, I'll talk to Dustin Nickerson, my friend who's a comic in uh, uh, California. And we were talking about that, and I said, I hate important comedy. Like, I think comedy is important. Like, we'll talk about how it can influence thought. It can speak truth to power. It can make people, like, be free from concern for an hour. Sure. Even if it only does that, it's amazing. Yeah. It's a gift, just if it does that. But can it speak truth to power? Can it point out injustice? Can it do all those things? Yes. But I hate when comedy, when I can see comedy trying to be important. It's almost like when you're at the U2 concert who is one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band of all time. But when you can see Bono, the tumblers turning and he's figuring out when he's going to stop between songs and preach to you about apartheid or whatever he decided. And you're just like, okay. And then you can see people like running to the porta potties at that point. Like that's when it gets a little bit tiresome. 
I think there's a time and a place, and but if you're gonna do it, man, it's got to be so good. And I just have never felt like I had a like I had a couple of political jokes early on when I was writing in my career, and I told them a couple of times. One of them was about Obama getting it was about participation awards and how we give kids trophies for whatever. And Obama had just won the Nobel Prize, yeah, like six weeks into office or something. And so I said, we're giving these kids trophies for nothing. What are we teaching them? And I put a slide up of Obama with the medal around his neck. It got this big laugh. I did it in our church. And then I did it one more time and it got like half laugh, half groan. And I never did it again. I was like, this is not why I do comedy. Like it's not worth it to me to be like, this is the hill I will die on. Yeah. And so I just decided from then, I'm like, I'm going to talk about cotton balls and Q-tips and marriage and, you know, family and whatever. And I, I can live with that. I yeah. can live with my act if I do that. But I do think that there are some brilliant political commentators out there and brilliant political comics. But it feels like the standard for me when I see somebody, they go, well, here's what my show is. It's about this and this. And I want this through line to be through the entire show that conservative thought is the way to – it's like I'm going to see that. It's almost like when you're watching an evangelist and he's telling the funny story about how – I remember we were watching somebody who was a friend of ours at the time. He was telling a story about riding his bike home as a kid. And he goes, but there were shortcuts. He goes, I had to go a certain way. And there were shortcuts, but I never took the shortcut. And he was t- you could tell he was setting up for the big <laughs> <Right>. turn. <clears throat> or, or if you see a pastor and he's just like, now I want you to go out there and be funny, Johnny. But then in the end, I want you to make the turn. So we can get their email address. Like you can just know, <laughs> I want you to bait the hook, but then we got to bring them home. Like I'm so cynical. I feel like an audience can see that coming. Yeah. So I feel like you've got to be so good if you're going to also be like, and this is my conservative politics on top of it. So I just have never felt like I had that standard met. Well, I think your act and your delivery are far from vapid. Like, I don't think you're, Yeah, I don't think it's the same thing as saying like my act is not deep. But it's just, it's about different things, and hopefully it's about uniting. Like, hey, we're all laughing. That's one thing about laughter. It's cool. It's like like a big amen. It's like a big, you look around. I like the lights to be low, because I want people to feel laughter around them, and they feel like they're not alone. Yeah. Have you ever ever laughed at something, and you realize you're the only one laughing? It's like the weirdest feeling in the world. So if you get everybody laughing, it's one of the reasons you want people packed tightly together, which is, again, is now Corona. It's the reason I push pause, by the way, when Laura is looking at her phone instead of what we're watching on Netflix. I want the shared experience. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, no, I think think there's that line. I do think politics in particular is probably, to me, there are other topics I have heard you address. I mean, you'll talk about marriage and you'll be very vulnerable. You won't tell details you don't want everybody to know. But you're also not acting like it's all perfect. Right, right. And I'm and, trying to teach a little bit. Yeah, that the, yeah. The, the, the flaws are part of what makes things beautiful. The, right. I, I think if there's a through line in my show now, it is that nobody is cool and it's okay. Yeah. Like, in other words, let's chip away at pretense. Yeah. So I'll tell the, the story about – because part of it is I get up there and I'm kind of controlling an audience. I'm doing well or I'm getting laughs. And the theory is like, how's he doing this or what? People have this respect for. So I want to show them immediately. Look, I'm a total screw up. Yeah. And we all are. And it's okay. So I tell a million stories about my own childhood growing up, being the kid that was picked on, being the chubby kid in gym class, et cetera. And those are all pieces in my show that are, it's like a tool and it's to let them let their guard down. It's not about like just getting laughs and get a check and leaving. It's about like, we all I want you to feel better about your own experience in gym class. Yeah. And not feel like, oh, I thought that only happened to me. 
And that's the beauty of it. That's what it should be. Whereas when you just say, isn't Obama an idiot or isn't, you know, Trump an idiot? Like you immediately are cutting the room at least in half. Yeah. Maybe worse, depending on where you're at, you know. Um, I just feel like it's not worth it unless you really had a. I mean, it would have to be the zinger of all zingers before I would just whip out the Trump joke. It's that it's that weird line of of you know again you said you know when Bono was talking about apartheid that's important and and he's honored for that. Is that I, I don't know. I, I struggle with this. You know, I remember um, I wrote a book called Just Keep Breathing. Remember that book uh-huh. with Reggie. And we took all these letters and stuff and changed names and locations, and we just can't get to responding to the thousands of people who reach out to him. So we decided to write a book that would be more public, using a lot of their stories yeah. with their permission, you know, and um, answering them in the book. And so, but we did not share faith, yeah, because we wanted it to be a resource that could go to teachers because he's in school so much, right? And, and there's so many rules against yeah. that, you know. And so I remember having like this. Really, I know this sounds weird because I, again, avid endorsement had nothing about faith in it. I mean, I think I talked about Martin Luther mm-hmm. nailing something to a door because doors are the threshold between the yeah. outdoors and the indoors. But it was like a real non. Yeah, I, there yeah. was no turn. Right. It was just silly. You know. Yeah, it it's a common reference everybody would know. The right. night. Yeah. And so, um, this, I remember I was in Vegas with Laura on a business trip and she was working all day and I was writing all day and I was really struggling because I was like, I'm not saying the most important thing to me mm-hmm. in this book. And I really felt like this sense of kind of, I don't know, I, gosh, it's so hard. I felt like Johnny that I heard from the Holy Spirit inside of me. Mm-hmm. Can I say that without everybody freaking out? Like, you know, I'm not We're saying, not going to know if people freak out about that. Uh, sorry. This, I is wasn't, not a live, this is not a live stream, John. I, I read God's word and feel like that some of it jumps off the page to me. At times yeah. I'm reminded of sure. something I read or a friend of one of God's people will say something to me that I feel like is something I need to pay attention to because God, and I do feel like there's a whisper and all three of those balanced. Mm-hmm are the way we should hear from God. If you only just pick up Ezekiel and open it and go and do likewise, you're going to do some really weird stuff. Ezekiel was messed up. I mean, is that what you're saying? I'm saying he laid on his side for a year yeah, eating off food that was cooked over a fire of poop uh, because he was trying to prove a point of how bad it was going to be in the exile. Don't okay. go thou and do likewise. Like that's right. not what God has for you. So yes, sometimes we apply God's word prescriptively and sometimes it's just descriptively. And then yes, there is a whisper, but you and I came out of movements where people only went by the whisper. Yeah. So it's like, thus say it the Lord. And they say stuff that you know, the Lord didn't say. Yeah. And the Bible says it's okay that people make mistakes doing that. You're supposed to correct it. You know, this is what we have in community and in God's word. So there's not a balance there, but then it's like, how dare you speak against the, well, Jesus, right. or excuse me, Paul through Jesus's inspiration told us to, that's why. And the third thing is with God's people, you live and you yeah, like, yeah. from Proverbs get wisdom. So sorry. It's got to precursor all that, that I felt like this was a moment of whisper that lines up with God's people and God's word, that I just felt like the Lord said to me, every time that there's breath, because the name of the book was Just Keep Breathing, mm-hmm. every time that there's breath, I'm in it. Yeah. And it really impacted me, like, you, you don't always got to make the turn. You know, like, it's okay. if yeah. are, are you helping a kid not commit suicide? That was the main purpose of that book, was that you would hang on mm-hmm. because tomorrow may be different and those who feel like they can't hang on another day. Yeah. Like, 
I don't get to in this format necessarily share with you the gospel, though it is my primary goal and what has changed me. But what I might do is encourage you enough to keep breathing another few days and maybe the, so that the gospel can be presented in your future. Yeah. It was kind of like this, this really interesting like moment of, of, I guess, understanding common grace a little more. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't hold a corner market here with this message. You know, God's doing a lot of things and a lot of people outside of what I'm saying or what we're saying in a church. And and if we were open to that, then we don't have to water down or skip, but we may be able to more, I guess, aptly address the right context that we're in. Okay, I know where I am. It's like Paul in Athens. Literally, if you think of it like this, it's so super offensive to the modern Christian mind. And that is that Paul preached a sermon among a bunch of idols and he never mentioned Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. He literally didn't say. Yeah, his he just said that there's a, you're serving this one God, the unknown God, and I'm telling you, I know who that is. And he told his story and said, "This is who that God's yeah. to." Right? Yeah. And he said, and they all listened. And I actually read in a history book uh, that it, it wasn't just him standing. It was it, it was actually he could have lost his life in the current, I guess, legal environment of that day because mm-hmm. to deny multiple gods was like a criminal offense. Huh. So he wasn't just standing with the philosophers. Like, again, think about Socrates because of his belief system was made to drink hemlock. So, and, and died. So like your belief systems really mattered yeah, in, yeah. in a polytheistic pagan culture where this isn't like just some hobby for them. Like we really believe that these gods are this and that if you speak out against them then you could be, you know, Uh, executed. So Paul is making some pretty bold statements and putting himself on the line. And he did eventually talk about Jesus, but in the beginning he drew them from where he was. He had like this, this understanding. So I'm not opposed to talking about Jesus. I mean, you could clip that out, but I think what I'm saying is, is right then the best thing to do was to reach them where they were. And then when he talked about the resurrection, they all laughed at him anyway, because that's mm-hmm. ridiculous, like we talked about last episode, to platonic thinking, which is that, that the body is a prison that should be discarded, and that's how you reach enlightenment, is become free from physical things. Therefore, the idea of resurrecting a physical body was asinine to the Greeks in Athens in the first century when Paul's speaking to them. So he does, though, come to the side, and a few people are interested in what he says, and then he shares the full gospel with those few people to the side who are, who are open-minded into what it was he had to get. Yeah, yeah. But it's like this it's like this idea that it's okay for us to be that's what Paul said all things to all men wasn't a watering down it was wisdom and it and it takes into account timing and it takes into account context it takes into account the paradigm of the people around you it takes into yeah. account like if you just got to stand up I remember we I told Reggie this story he was in this week and I brought him in um in 2009, mm-hmm. when, when uh, we were all working here in youth ministry, you were too. Did you go with me to Mount Juliet High School when he did that rally at Mount Juliet mm, High School? Yes. That, okay. So it wasn't a rally. So it was an in-school rally. Yeah, assembly thing. And the principal at the time, Mr. Brown of Mount Juliet High School, like we had such no, – Reggie is the number one public school speaker in the world, does uh-huh. six to eight assemblies a day. Like the guy's got it down. And he was terrified to bring him in. Sure. And as it comes to find out, the reason was – a year or two before, a guy came in who was a Christian who had said he would do what Reggie was going to do mm-hmm. and just kind of talk about good life choices. And you can invite them to right. a rally Anti-drug, outside. anti-bullying, yeah. anti-whatever. And instead, the guy got in there and couldn't help himself Yeah, and just straight up shared the gospel and did, and did an yeah. altar call. Oh, boy. In a public school gymnasium. Yeah, you can't do that. Because, and look, 
we can argue the merits of whether or the demerits of whether well, or not there should be prayer. Well, if you're going to argue in favor of that, you got to argue in favor of equal time for all religions. That's the hard part. Well, only That's... if you abide by the Constitution. But I, I, <laughs> I understand. Do you want to go to the Satanist school assembly? But if we think of the Constitution as somehow married to Christianity, yeah. because it does mention God and all those things in it. Yeah. But if we don't understand that that right. the founding fathers had a separation of well, yeah, there's your rhetoric freedom, and their freedom from religion. Right. If you want, if you choose that, you do have that freedom. Right. Yeah. You have that freedom. And so I remember, I never forget standing there as those kids piled into that gym and yeah. it was four sided. So kids were all around us. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, most rooms are four sided, Johnny. Well, it was a four, so, it was a, wait a minute. It was a four sided room. I know. <laughs> Get out I mean, of the here. bleachers were on all four sides. Because normally you stand in face, but he was going to be center stage, which you know how hard that is. Yeah. People are behind you. Oh, right. The side. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, man. And it's 2,000, or actually 2,500 kids, probably huge high school. And Mr. Brown, who was probably five years from retirement, stood next to me and he turns to me and he says, I just want you to know that if I go down, you're going down with me. <laughs> I kid you not, he said that. And I, I, I was he serious? Yes, he was oh serious. My he gosh. was not. Mr. Mr. Brown was a funny guy, but he wasn't like. <laughs> I a, will end you. He wasn't a jokester. Like, <laughs> he was letting me know that he was putting himself out there again because somebody couldn't handle it. Yeah. And I was like, listen, Mr. Brown, Reggie is a professional. And that sounds weird to say, but he knows what he, he knows where his line is in the school, you know, and, and of course, Reggie had them all. Huh. And you remember that. I've never seen a guy that has a whole oh, no, in it's 10 seconds, you know, it's laughing, crying, the whole, and it is God is absolutely God given, God breathed, God's working in it. Well, it's him. He's living out his complete purpose. It's, yeah. it's watching a human being walking in their purpose. It's unbelievable. Uh, and so, yeah, it's crazy. And he doesn't even like this thing about Reggie's. He doesn't, the way you said that he doesn't strive to do it. No. He doesn't, you said something the other day, I don't know if it was on a podcast or at lunch, but it's deeply impacted me. You said, somebody said, you were quoting them, there are, a lo- if you have to kick a door down, right. there's a good chance it wasn't the right door. Or yeah. you know, and that's so like contra. Yeah, if you have to kick the door down, it's not your door. Yeah. That's so contra to like the uh-huh. thought of, of pulling yourself up with your bootstraps and working hard mm-hmm. and paying your dues. And there, there's all that in American culture that I agree with. And I, and I've, i probably right. go struggle. kill it drag it home yeah i probably struggle from overworking you know like that's i find security and try to control my the outcomes through yeah. doing my part but when you do see a guy like reggie he, he won't kick a door down he doesn't have any need to he just literally lets things mm-hmm. come and things come to him by the way he, he's gonna be the mc for the they're bringing back the big promise keepers yeah it's already got like 40 something thousand people registered at dallas stadium at jerry world Wow. And he's going to be a speaker in the MC, just like the old days. Like you just go, and he doesn't care. That's the thing. He he just assumed being in middle school, he really really would. Yeah. Does, there's no. And this I think, is for next year. This is for next year. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully things will be better. Right. Well, it's by like, the summer. There. I can see the headline now. Virus keepers. <laughs> <laughs> it just the headlines write themselves. Promise COVID. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. But I just I don't know. I I see that and I go, wow. Yeah. You said to be free from pretense is I think the the Well, and you're goal. hoping you can help your audience be free from it. Yeah. Um when they see you uh you know, Reggie's his whole thing is self-deprecation too. I mean, he's using a lot of the principles of comedy in yeah. his talks. He has a lot of jokes and He's a heavier guy, so a lot of his vulnerabilities are on the outside, right there. Yeah. And he he doesn't hide from it. 
he's a big guy. He talks about being a chubby kid growing up yep. and just not being able to ride the rides at the whatever. He, he immediately draws you in. And uh, that's a huge principle of, of comedy. And I, but yeah, that I saw an, there was an interview with Jim Carrey, uh, who obviously has been through this crazy wild ups and downs and mental illness and and uh, over the last few years. And he's written a book now and he was promoting it. And he was talking about when it kind of clicked for him was that he realized what he wanted to do with comedy because he became a, a stand-up sensation before in Living Color and all those movies. He said, I was doing, I was with an audience and he said, I wanted, I had this desire, overwhelming desire that I wanted to be someone who was completely free of concern. And so that's where he got the, how you doing tonight? All righty then. Like not even wait for them to answer just yeah. immediately. I don't care how you're doing. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. He goes, if I could purvey that to them, then I might be able to free them from concern. Wow. And so that became his whole goal. It's almost like this human. It's like it makes it sound like he's trying to be important, but it's like that should be the goal. Like you remove pretense, and then they feel they like they can take their proverbial masks off. Yeah. Although not physical masks now because we don't do that around here anymore. <laughs> Keep them on, people. I wonder how many evangelical sermons have changed since the right. came out. Like some, some of y'all been. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> every one of our sermons, every one of our fake sermons always start with some of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> some of y'all sitting here. Let me tell you what my Bible says. My favorite. They used to say that. My Bible says, what? Did these guys have a different Bible? <laughs> I did see Is those. he writing it in there? I have seen now in multiple places, by the way, people using the whole, um, we we come before God with unveiled face. Oh, yeah. They're literally using that. Like, we behold with unveiled faces. Talk about a horrific, <laughs> like complete disregard of biblical context. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm on I, the, I don't that'd know. Be, dude, that'd be a great title of a book, like a book about bad, uh, exegesis, just terrible twisting of scriptures. And you call it Herman neutered. <laughs> <laughs> Herman Neutered, what's wrong with preaching today? <laughs> I'm in, by man. John Driver. Hey, by Johnny W. with John Driver. Oh, huh? man. Come so we're now. split this 50 50? <laughs> Sell them out of my trunk at the flea market? Listen, I will write that proposal tomorrow. All right, let's and go. You just need to come up with the jokes. <laughs> this is it. Or wait, Herman Neutrix by, <laughs> by L. L. John Johnny W. <laughs> wait. Oh, my goodness. That's uh, funny. I remember that I wanted to write a book of Scientology nursery rhymes by L. Mother Hubbard, but that was a different thing. That's stupid. I apologize to our listeners. You deserve better, and I will. I promise you will get better. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, there's that thing of, but, again, sometimes people are so trying not to be pretentious that it's that's a whole other level of pretense, and I don't mean that. And even when I said what I said about Bono, I love that U2's music is important, but I think sometimes, like, they'll write a song about apartheid. Yeah. And then he'll feel like, like they're there to hear that song because that song, it's like, there used to be an old quote that I loved. I think it was Thomas Paine that said, if you have to tell someone the truth, make them laugh. Otherwise, they'll kill you. <laughs> and that's really comedy. Like yeah. you're trying to put truth into what you're saying, even if it's just a shared experience or the fact that, hey, we all need to relax a little bit or whatever you're saying in the joke or, yeah. you know, marriage isn't perfect. And here's proof. Here's my marriage. Whatever you're saying, like. It's got this grain of truth, or at least true to you in your experience, but it's got to be funny in this idea that, like, you would write a song, you make it the best you can be, you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars producing it, 
And then you get to the arena and you go, but I think what they really want is for me to preach for about 10 minutes. <laughs> like, play the song. I know, but the, the There's flip- a time and a place, and Bono's better at it than most. But the flip side, again, I have to defend the... Uh, How dare you defend, defend Bono? those of us out here who are a little more prose-based and preachy. Okay, sure. Is that... Lots of people will literally listen to the song and never one time think of its deeper meaning. And certainly, even if they did, yeah. take no action because of it. Because music is an escape. Right. It is an I do, it's a balance. It's so a balance. that weird it line. That part of Bono never really bothered me. I'm just saying, like, I know that's a knock on the band, it's that like, they got really political and preachy. It's like that... It's like that uh, that Credence song that they used to play on the Lee, Levi's commercial. Yeah, yeah. And for Fourth of July, all these American flags. Some folks are way to Oh, yeah. It's Fortune Ooh, and Sun. They're red, white, and blue. Yeah. And they use it's, an, it's anti-war. It's anti-war. <laughs> and they're using it yeah, for yeah. a Fourth of July commercial with all of these patriotic things. And you're like, right. okay, okay, surely Credence would not no, approve. They, we don't know. They, well, no, they, they signed off on it, and they probably are laughing all the way to the bank. But it's like... Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA, is the best example. Like Reagan and then Bush in '88 also used it for their campaigns. Yeah, the, it's about like they sent me over to kill the yellow man. It's about like the flag being used to, uh, you know, co-opt murder. Yeah, basically. So it's it's about the danger of jingoism and nationalism. And they and made it into they a made jingle. it into a nationalist yeah. <laughs> anthem. And so. Uh, then he had to do cease and desist, and no campaigns really used it since. I mean, basically, it was like, have you not listened to the record? Like, again, what you're saying is like, sometimes you just, they listen to the chorus. Yeah, born in the USA. They chant, right. they put their fists in the air. It's like, wait a minute. He's, this is not pro, not pro, or it's not anti-USA, but it's, it's an anti-war anthem, basically. So I was writing about systemic issues this week, and uh, that made me think, like, was for example, I was looking into, like, there's like a hundred studies Mm-hmm. They've been done in California. There was a Department of Justice did one, like 95 million traffic stops. Uh, Cincinnati did one. Um, uh, Atlanta did one. Like, I'm talking hundreds of studies mm-hmm. that say that black men are pulled over and cars are searched. Something like 2.5 is the general consensus times more than white people. Wow. And the numbers go down at night. There's less disparity between the two numbers at night, uh-huh. which they attribute to the fact is because they can't see what race they are. Huh. Is what, is, so this is the thing. And, and I, was, I was writing on this, and uh, here's the deal. I love I – I don't mind making this disclaimer because it's great. I, like, I have plenty of amazing, honorable police friends yeah. and honor what they do because like this whole – whether it's a bad apple – or a system, and no one, you know, there's a fear among some far right conservatives to acknowledge issues in a system. And I've, I, I came to this conclusion. I said, look, if if it is only individuals, then it's a much more alarming conclusion. Because if I can find a hundred studies that say this is happening mm-hmm. all over the country, That's a lot of bad apples. Then you're telling me that basically. The police forces are full of corrupt people. Yeah. And I don't believe that. Right. I really don't. I think it's more likely that you have some corrupt people and then you have some others who are a part of a system that's, you know, more than 150 years old and that there's some things about it. I'm not I'm not a defund the police and get rid of it all kind of guy. I do think that much like our own church or whatever, we have to always be looking at what are we accomplishing regardless of our intent. Mm-hmm. That's the other big thing. Is people think, well, I can't have, whether it's 
uh, sexism or racism or anything. I can't have that because I don't intend to. Mm-hmm. I don't intend harm. And I was like, I'm writing about this this week. I can't tell you how many times my wife has come to me and that I have harmed her with something I did not intend to say, mm-hmm. you know? And then often since I'm so litigious and legalistic in my mind and agreement-based and technical and justice-centered and think I'm right, I'll spend another 20 minutes now fighting over whether or not what right. I said had that. And yeah. in the end, if I'd love her, I'd just go, whether I meant to or not, I can say I'm sorry and I can own my part of that. Like, it doesn't acknowledge that I'm not not acknowledging that you don't also have issues and other things within this. I'm just saying if I hurt you and especially usually if I get to the bottom of it, she's right. There was something that was actually hurtful that came out of no malintent. And so intent, the gospel of good intent is where we kind of live. Like, well, I don't intend to do this. Yeah. It's kind of like somebody coming on the property here at church and getting stung by a wasp or getting stung by a bee. And the last thing I'm going to, you know, I wouldn't walk up and say, we had a visitor get stung by a bee. I'm not going to go, well, how dare you um, come tell me I didn't do it. We don't condone bee stings here. I didn't right. release. We're anti-bee. I didn't release bees on you. And I don't know why you're asking <laughs> that'd me. That would be a heck of a church, wouldn't it? <laughs> Welcome to our church. Release the bees! <laughs> just, man. It was just like, I would say. One I, person gets like a comment card. The next person gets bees. <laughs> <laughs> Inside a little plastic bag. They're careful. They've been, they're getting mad now. But what I would say is, is I'm really sorry, ma'am, that that happened, especially yeah. if it happened to a kid or something. And then I go kill the bees. Yeah. You know, I take responsibility for, and I think any member would. This is not like being one of the pastors. Any member would be like, oh, man, I hate that that happened to people because we care about the visitor. So, like, at some point in time, I think that there's this this place in life to say, hey, there there are bigger things happening that are bigger than just individuals mm-hmm. and individuals doing things wrong it certainly affects it and individuals doing things right is great yeah but we can acknowledge that there are such a, there's such a thing as something in the system that was there before I got there I've been a part of it for I was a part of a systemic church issue of works based theology yeah like I just was you know um, I was probably one of the better guys in it <laughs> but I still was a part of that and so it's okay, I think, the whole point of this diatribe, Johnny, is to say, if we can't look at something and go, whether it's my act or your act, I don't have an act, by the way, Johnny, I'm a preacher. Whether it's how the way I'm preaching or yeah. whether it's the way that I'm writing or whether it's the way that I'm interacting or not interacting with issues of race or whether it's the way that I'm interacting politically, if I don't have some paradigm in which I am open to the idea that perhaps all of my ways uh, are not completely uh, oh above reproach. Mm. Ah, we call that a callback, by the way. Boom. Full circle. Uh, then I'm in trouble because like, there's, no, there's no such thing of any system outside of the kingdom of God that's above reproach. And even the kingdom of God as we live it now is, is full of correction. It's yeah. like the above approach part is the heart towards Christ to take correction and be transformed. It's not the behavior that never makes a mistake. So anyway, sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little on that right now. You are so. such on, so on a soapbox. I, I had to head out. Uh, just got I, back. I had a sandwich. Sorry. You just see where I made the turn? Like it was, I did. Uh, <laughs> Listen, you can have my email address. Just, at this point. So, just so you know, when I make a turn, it's just very natural. I'm not, this is how, this is how I talk to you at lunch. Like it's no different. I, I hope uh, you would tell the no, people. No, I do. I know. Like, I, was I don't just, have I'm a, just teasing yeah. So. This is the kind of conversations we always have. They really we just is. go in and out of the silliest things and the most melancholy, deep things, and uh, and everything in between. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think it's beautiful, John. It's like pull my finger, and hey, how about this crisis in the Middle East? What are fingers anyway? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is a finger? Oh my goodness! I wonder why the expression "pull my finger" is so different than the expression "pull my leg" because it seems as if right. the other. Yeah. Pulling a leg would be closer anatomically to the result of pulling a finger. Pull my finger, that happens. Pull my leg, holy moly. Right. Look out. <laughs> can test that for COVID. <laughs> in case in point, guys, that we, we, we zoom in and out of these things as yes. if the English language were our playland, John. We don't know. We, we don't know. Just enjoy it. And we hope that you've enjoyed it today and, and listening along. Uh, appreciate the comments. Uh, we, uh, man, a great episode last episode. A lot of downloads. A lot of We're sharing some clips probably through next week of last week's episode. Yeah. So uh, that'll be exciting. And so if you see those little those little shareable things. Yeah, like, click on those and share them and retweet them because that helps other people find us that would not have otherwise. Yeah, yeah. And then they can go back to all. This is 126, by the way, John. Bam. So they can go Bam. all the way back in the catalog, the annals. I've talked about that mm-hmm. and discover so much, so much. And uh, appreciate you listening. Do send us any more comments and questions that you may have that you want us to uh, read on the air or answer on the air. You can follow us on our various socials. You can go to our Patreon account if you'd like to be a patron and support. Uh, we have uh, we have prizes. Is that what you call them? We Rewards. need to send out the Scarlet Thread uh, Dropbox link. I'm, we forgot to do that, didn't we? Yeah. We said we would. Well, we mailed the everything old... else. Yeah, I know. But now you're just making up stuff for me to do. That's what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, it's easy. That's an email, so, John. Yeah. Do your job. We can do that. All right. We'll, we'll send that out this week, the Scarlet Thread. So, hey, we're going to send that out. We're gonna. I'm making an alarm on my calendar right now. We're going to send that out on Thursday. Okay. So that means if you'd like to join Patreon at any level, we'll send you that. Any level, you can get the yeah. old, uh, our, our 2004 worship project. Called Simple, Simple Soul. Soul. Yeah. Uh, so you can hear what uh, John and... And my our rock our Christian rock project was. I st- hey, I'm still proud of it. I'm very proud of it. Very proud of it. Uh, and uh, it's a snapshot in time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You think we'll always be proud of it, or do you think there'll be a time we're like, Oof. I think by now it would have. Look, I am not proud of the two records before that. No. So no, not at all. I wish we'd have had a real producer. Like that would have made a difference. I think. And then they would have said, hey. Those are all other stories that we need to tell. You don't like me when I tell those stories. Because <laughs> you You're call like, them by name. I do. They deserve, <laughs> They should have behaved better. That's what <laughs> Anne Lamott said about her writing. She said, if people want me to not talk about them in, in my books, they should have behaved better. Yeah. It yeah. is. Yeah. That's very vengeful, I guess, too. But it's all, you know, if you're going to tell your truth, you got to whatever, man. I don't know, man. That's Names not have not been changed to protect <laughs> the innocent or the guilty. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but hey, we appreciate you being guilty of listening to talk about that today. <laughs> Too far? Segway. I can never tell. Okay. Well, seriously, though, we love you guys. Appreciate you listening. We'll see you next week on Talk About That. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, You can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.